0: Hello and welcome to Legally Bond, a podcast presented by the law firm Bond, Channing and King. I'm your host, Kim Wolf price On today's episode, we'll be talking with Miriam Qureshi, a senior counsel in our Westchester office who practices in our school law practice group, which is part of our labor practice. Hello, Miriam. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hi, thank you for having me. It's good to have you here today. I'm grateful for this opportunity to chat with you and have you as a guest on the podcast. Well, as I mentioned, you practice in the school law practice group, but in particular, you do a lot of work in special education law. Is that right? That is correct. And we're going to discuss some other things today, but do you mind if the bulk of our conversation sort of focuses on that that topic? Sure. All right. And I was hoping because there are so many acronyms In special education and education law, that maybe some of this could be a little bit of a primer on the basics for folks. Does that work out? That sounds great. All right. Terrific. Thank you so much. Well, it's sort of a tradition on the podcast that I like to start our conversation with a bit of background on the guest first, especially the first time they join us, because I just think it's a nice way for everyone to get to know the attorneys and also to know a person who's speaking today. So do you mind if we start off that way?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, please tell us about your background. Okay. So my family is originally from India. I grew up in Pakistan. I came to the U.S. in 1992. I came to New York and that's where I've been since. So I'm part of the New York City fabric, where uh, or originally was part of the New York City fabric. Now I'm in the suburbs. So yeah. And, you know, I'm, I live here with my husband and my daughter and, you know, New
0: York feels like home now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And you are in our new Westchester office, correct? You were in the New York City office. Correct. I've been in the Westchester
1: office since it opened about, I think it's about two months now, I would say. And yes, I'm very excited to be here because I live in Westchester and the commute is just unbeatable 10 minutes no. from my place so <laughs>
0: <And> <laughs> anybody can anybody listening not from a metro area particularly New York City metro you don't understand what that means a 10 minute commute. <laughs> <game. laughs> true <laughs> it's pretty amazing well so how did you get to bond you didn't start at bond correct no, I did not. I got to bond from the New York City Department of Education.
1: And the way I got here was I'd been like the New York City Department of Education, practicing special education for over 15 years. And I had a great run there, but I thought it was, you know, time for a change. I wanted to sort of like expand my repertoire of um, practice areas. There's so much more to education law than special education. And of course, like no pun intended, but special education, all this has a very special place in my heart, but I wanted to, you know, learn different things as well. And so I connected with one of our partners over here who's now retired, Marion Katsy. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened that when I reached out to Marion, she was looking to, I think her retirement was sort of in process and she was looking to transition over her practice and her clients. And it just worked out really nicely that I was able to take over some of her clients and come to Bond and work with a great group of people in school or practice group.
0: That's fantastic. I think there's a good lesson in there for everybody who says they don't like networking. Sometimes it's really not that hard. It's just staying in touch with people, right? And then this great opportunity came up. Exactly. So when you were studying law, you're in the school law practice group. Did you even know there was such a thing as sort of the school law practice?
1: No, no, not at all. It was really interesting. So I went to New York law school. And by the way, that was my first schooling in the U.S. Law school? Yes, just jump, in right, in just just jump, jump right in, Just jump right in. I know, I know. Just <laughs> bring it on. <laughs> and I have like many interesting stories to tell, but suffice it to say, I spent my entire first semester at law school with my head down. I was so scared, like you know, that someone's gonna call on me. I never like it was a very different experience from anything that I'd ever done before. Of course. So and then I. When I graduated from law school, I worked at the Legal Aid Society initially and the bankruptcy law unit. And then from there, I went to work for Brooklyn Law School. And I was working in a clinic they had. It was funded by the Department for the Aging, it was primarily like housing tenant law. And one day, I was just sort of like looking at some ads in the paper. We had New York, we used to get New York Law Journal. And there I saw an ad in there for a special education attorney. I was like, what is a special education (laughs) attorney? And so I started doing some research. I was really fascinated by what I found about special education. And so that was my first introduction to school law practice. So I just applied to New York City Department of Education thinking, you know, I have no knowledge of like special ed law. Like, why would they even call me for an interview? Well, guess what? Two days (laughs) later. I was giving my first interview and like 15 days later, I got hired. And so, yeah, that's how I sort of got involved with the whole school law practice.
0: That's fantastic. I mean, I think that that's the one thing about a law degree, right? It's it's a pretty open book. It allows you to change course, especially early in your career. And Absolutely. you took that initiative and found something that really fits. Absolutely. That's great. That's really great. All right. So you mentioned it and we didn't talk about it too much, but you spent quite a while with the New York City Department of Education, right? And you ended up being the director of the special education unit before you came to Bond. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. I was there about 15 years. And so you said two days later, you got the interview, 15 days later you started, and then you worked your way up to have that, that role.
1: So, yes. And so the way it started out was that back in 2005, when I joined the New York City Department of Education, our general counsel at that point wanted to open up special education legal unit because, you know, the city was being sued for tuition reimbursement cases. And he felt like he wanted to bring on attorneys to defend the city school district. And so I keep on board as the third attorney in the group. And we were assigned, um, the, there were 10 attorneys initially hired as part of group. And each attorney was assigned to what's called a committee on special education because New York City DOE is the largest school district in the country with over 300,000 students with disabilities each It's like divided into like different zones and geographic districts. So there are like 10 committees on special education that serve tip to toe in New York City. And so I was assigned to one of those committees in special education as a staff attorney. And then I was just very lucky at that point, you know, opportunities started opening up and I went from being a staff attorney to like, you know, being a managing attorney. And then ultimately in 2011, I was appointed the director of the unit. And by then the unit had started growing and it really grew exponentially. So that when I left in 2020, I was supervising a unit of about 150 people.
0: So. Wow. From the three of you to 10 of you to 150. Exactly. And it's grown since then as well. So That's pretty amazing. That's right. And you and I started up Bond, I think, roughly around the same time. Yep. Um, early 2020 before the pandemic, right? Right before the pandemic, right before, yes. Yes. <laughs> I think I may have been in New York City visiting like your third week or something like that. It was, think, my second week. (laughs) Yes, that's right. (laughs) So, so, well, that's great. I mean, there's so much to think about in there, including the fact that I was unaware that it was not until 2005 that the city had that special unit. But good, that's a lot of great growth um, and focus. What people don't realize about that school district, too, is how much area it covers. Like, it's all five boroughs.
1: 1.1 million school-going kids in New York City. And, you know, if you include preschoolers with disabilities, over 300,000 children with like disabilities. So, yeah, Yeah. they did have an office, a special education office, but it was a very small office and it
0: primarily like dealt with settlements. Right. Yeah, it makes sense because it's actually instead of it being an adversarial process, it can be a, a positive process. So, but I'm trying to imagine like, you know, a student like way out in Staten Island and then a student in you know the far know. reaches of Queens like the Rockaways and they're all in the same school district. Yeah. Absolutely. Huge, Huge. Yeah. so many different issues to cover. So that must have been really fun. It was. It was very fun and it's like every day was a new day,
1: things you can imagine. How many different kinds of cases came our way, different absolutely. kinds of settlements came our way,
0: so it really ran the gamut. Yeah. Well, thank you for giving us a little bit of that background. So I mentioned this and I'm hoping that we can sort of talk a little bit about special education laws, some Mm -hmm. of the acronyms, because I'm not sure if all of our listeners would necessarily know the basics of it. And so that way we can talk about the laws surrounding special education and services and um, that it touches far more students than people realize. You just mentioned one point. 1 million students in the in New York City and how many did you say typically might be getting services if
1: you include preschoolers
0: with disabilities,
1: I would say over 300,000 children right. in New
0: York City. Just alone. in New York City alone. Right. So really cover so many students currently in the education system. And of course, because of the world we're living in, one day I'm not going to have to say this, but we're also going to touch a little bit on how COVID-19 pandemic has impacted the education and services and, and the really the great way a lot of the the districts rose to the challenge there. So does that work for our next segment? That absolutely works. All right. So I guess we should start with a big one, right? And what is IDEA? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It, it really is the
1: big one. It's the Umbrella Statute. It stands for Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And as I said, it's the Umbrella Statute. It's under which basically the federal government ensures that all students with disabilities receive free and appropriate public education. That's another acronym that you'll hear a lot and that the students with disabilities have their needs met and then you know, they're prepared for like further education, employment, and independent living.
0: And does IDEA just
1: cover public schools or does it also cover private institutions? It does not cover private institutions, though it does cover what we call the 853 schools, which are private schools, but they've been approved by the New York State Education Department. It also covers charter schools.
0: Okay. So that's a lot of, that's a lot of coverage for that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I think you mentioned this, that the purpose is to make sure that there's access. And what was the other ac- ac- um, acronym? Free- uh, FAPE. It's yeah. called FAPE. It's Free Appropriate Public Education.
1: So that right. students with disabilities have access to free appropriate public education.
0: And IDEA is not as old of a law, I think, as most people Might think it is. It's
1: not actually
0: until I think
1: the early 70s, if I'm not mistaken. There was that sort of where IDEA came into existence, because before that, you know, students with disabilities were really not being provided all the services that were necessary for them. And so that sort of was the genesis of the law. And then, of course, you know, there are all the state regulations and state laws and the implementing regulations for each state, which are a little different for each state.
0: That's right. And I guess we should probably say here that when we will talk about IDEA, which is federal law, but when we talk about other things, we're talking about New York state primarily because that's where you practice. That's where your clients are. So putting that out there for anyone who might be listening. The other common acronym that I hear a lot just as someone with kids in school and who have friends with kids is the IEP. Can you talk a little bit about what that acronym stands for and what it is? Sure. So, IEP stands for Individualized Education Program.
1: It is actually the program that the committees in special education, which is probably another acronym you hear very commonly, CSCs yes. create for students with disabilities. It's it's basically it's a document. It's a very fluid document. It must be reviewed from year to year by the committee in special education, and it reflects you know the program recommendation that the committees make for a student based upon the student's unique needs. It includes any evaluations, results of evaluations. It includes all the students' cognitive and functioning and behavioral, social, emotional issues and needs. It lists goals for the student so that, you know, measurable goals to see if the student is succeeding year after year meeting the goals. It reviews the student's present level of performances and then based on all that information contained in that one document, it's the combined program recommendation that a CSC makes. And that's what the teachers use these programs to implement everything that's written in the IEP.
0: And that must be a way for schools to, and districts to decide which students are in which classroom based on those IEPs as well. Correct. So the Committee on Special Education
1: is like a whole team and the law, the federal law as well as the state law, lists who the mandated members are of the team. And it's usually, you know, the student special education teacher or special education service provider, school psychologist, parents very important members of the team, sometimes students as well. Then there's also a general education teacher. If a student, if there's a chance that a student might be in some sort of a general education setting, a general education teacher as well. And th- so these these are just the basic members, but there's a whole list of like other yeah. members who can be included with the team. And so these team members all get together every year. It's called an annual review process, and that's built in the law. And every year the team gets together, reviews the student's IEP to ensure that the student is either continuing to make progress or if there's any changes that need to be made in the IEP, then they do so to ensure that, you know, the student is not regressing, but making progress.
0: That's great. Did I forget a numeric? Is there 504 plans as well? Yeah. <laughs> I forget something. <laughs>
1: 504 stems for Americans with Disabilities Act. It's 504 plan it can be for medical reasons. There can be for social-emotional reasons. Usually, if someone has a 504 plan, doesn't necessarily mean that the student is classified right. as a student with a disability. Right. Kids with food like, allergies have 504s. Kids with food allergies or sometimes general education kids. A kid is running, broke their arm, and now they have to take a test. And so, of course, yeah. like, they can't. So you do a 504 plan for a medical reason. Right. It's a short-term plan to help the child take the test. or you know. So, yes, 504 plans can be for either other students. Usually students who are students with disabilities, I think it's that sort of the larger circle and 504 issues kind of come within it.
0: Okay, that makes sense. All right, and you you kind of touched on this because you said about general education uh, teachers may be involved, so another acronym is that LRE, the Least Restrictive Environment, is that what it is? Absolutely, wow, (laughs) (laughs) you know it. I, yes. I'm a geek, and I do my re- try to do my research before. <laughs> <No>,
1: that's <laughs> great. Yes, least respective environment, and uh, that's uh, under the law. The law requires the students with disabilities to the maximum extent possible should be placed with their non-disabled peers, so that they have the opportunity to uh, be with their non-disabled peers and model after them. So that's sort of what the least restrictive environment is, obviously, as you can imagine, it's a bit more subjective standard because least restrictive for one child is not necessarily least restrictive for the other child. So it's very individualized and um, least restrictive could also mean like, you know, placing a child in a program that's closer to the child's home, for instance. So,
0: yeah. All right. Well, so these things have to be kind of fluid. There seems
1: to be a lot of moving parts. Nothing in special education is cannot be argued one way or the other. It really is a very gray area of law.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned this earlier. This So this all flows from IDEA, the federal law. And you mentioned the acronym FAPE, that Free and Appropriate Public Education. And that's sort of the purpose behind all this, making sure there's access, right? Exactly. So there's a lot of other pieces of idea as well, such as appropriate evaluations. And then you mentioned it, but the parent and teacher participation, that's a big piece of this as well, isn't it?
1: It is. And same thing with the teacher, you know, the child's teacher who's
0: with the child all day. Yeah, the classroom teachers. And I know in, in some settings, just from friends who are special education teachers, they will have the same student for many years, sometimes in the high school level. Yeah, they could, depending on, you know, what the needs of the student are. Yeah, yeah. so you're right. There's a lot of people who are important to this. And at the districts, you mentioned there's just so many people, school psychologists and others involved as well as part of that team. Are there some other basics of special education law that we haven't gotten to that you'd like to touch on or some things that districts really have to focus on? I think one of the things that the districts have to focus on, and this is a problem that the
1: districts run into as well, is like a lot of times parents will have their own private evaluations that they would like the districts to review. And obviously, a loving parent wants the best for their child. Right. Right. And under the law, really, it's it's what is appropriate for the child. And appropriate doesn't have to be everything, as the law says, everything that a love and parent desires. But it's really important to, you know, like sort of review those private evaluations, hear the parents' concerns. And I've found having done this for so many years now that it's almost a good part of the time districts are able to come up with a resolution. If you hear the parent and the parent explain it to the parent, well, you know, where the district is coming from, why they believe what they believe is appropriate for the child, it, it, they are able to come up with a good resolution. So I think I think that's sort of like an important part of the program building program recommendation and it's just something to keep in mind.
0: Makes perfect sense like listening would help I imagine quite a bit and like here letting the people be heard letting the parents be heard but it seems like a team effort would provide the best. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Well with the COVID-19 pandemic we know that schools all over New York State had to close then went remote then hybrid and now in person with some restrictions this has had to have a huge impact on school districts hasn't it it did it really did but I have to say you know the school districts
1: really did so great with like pivoting and going from one day being in classroom functioning normally everything's going fine and then you know like literally like Two days later, everything's shut down and they have to. And it actually implicated like other areas of law too. So one of the big areas of law that really got implicated with all this like cyber issues is is the education law 2D. And schools really have had to be careful in terms of now you have these Zoom meetings. And in the beginning, you heard like people were like breaking into like right. you know, these meetings and things like that. But So it was a lot to deal with, not just that, it for, you know, all the student population, but for particularly for students with disabilities, that was more of a challenge because obviously you have to imagine like. These are students who are not just receiving like special types of programs, but also like related services and now everything from physical
0: and occupational
1: therapy as well. Right. Counseling, Mm -hmm. physical, occupational, you name it. And and basically going from being in person to providing these services Mm -hmm. over video chats. And so the schools really did pivot really well, in my opinion, did a
0: great job. I imagine also like they had to make sure students had the correct technology on their end. I mean Absolutely. so Absolutely. many different pieces. Absolutely. Um and so an IEP is it those are each year you said they have to be reviewed? Yes. So ethics. that that could then have been taken into account when the CSE got together after it the end of that. Yes. And the state kind of left it to the districts, which was the right thing to do. Obviously, they, they did provide the
1: state did provide guidance and a number of like factors to be considered when seeing if like a student needed some kind of makeup services or not. Okay. But just because student was getting remote hybrid instruction, the state then. State felt that that was not in of itself a reason to like provide makeup services, but if you know students who had significant needs, whose needs could not be met or if there was any regression, and I think that's a big word in under IDEA is regression. That's really what the statute is about as well, that there should not be, the students should make progress, there should not be any regression. And so that's something you know the teachers had to take into account and take it from there
0: right that makes sense so that the teachers could evaluate what happened during that 20 Yeah and I think the teachers year. really did a good job but that the yeah. schools really did a
1: good job I mean it was not easy I I have so much respect for our clients what they had to just sort of go and do, I, and I say that because I started at Pond a few weeks before. Right, the, exactly. I know, you know that too, right? And so it was such a hard transition. And I'm thinking like, here it is, just me. I have to just do my own transition, managing being responsible for
0: hundreds of students. So well, they, and they were doing they like everything, including sending everything. lunches on school, up here in the in you know it's more suburban. Everything. Sending lunches on school buses, delivering lunches to kids' houses.
1: And just all the other issues, the other issues that came up along with that, right? Like transportation issues. Right. Like you have all these bus contracts that you've entered into, and now uh, no one's going anywhere. Exactly. So it was a lot to do. Yes.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And then I think as they came back, as we got to summer 2020, the school districts had to figure out. Okay. Well we need to bring certain of these groups back full time, even faster. Right. Um, and, and I think that that was a lot where special education departments said, raised their hands and said, our students need to be here. Yes. And so the districts had to figure out how to sort of manage all of that. Yes, they wow. had to come up with like plans. The state required the districts to
1: present it with like plans on how they plan to bring students in, what are the precautions that they were taking, you know, the social distancing, cleaning, you know, masking. Obviously, you can imagine it's not easy for kids to mask under any circumstances. And then if you have like special education kids who had like some of them very significant needs that's an added layer that you have to deal with though. So, you know, just thinking of like so many moving parts to like just put it all together and safely bring students. And again, I think, you know, it was a wonderful job like considering how many students came back and, you know, the vaccinations weren't even there for kids at that time. The fact that there wasn't a second like outbreak from schools or anything, that just shows what a good job people were doing.
0: Yeah, it how, how seriously school districts Um, Took all of this. And and you kind of mentioned this, but we didn't exactly say it. Special education can be everything from physical requirements to developmental and everything in between. So we might have had a student who has oxygen. Or, a st- like, you know, and, and so how do you mask over? You know, there's all of those things that districts had to sort of figure out along the exactly, way. Exactly,
1: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, special education really touches so many different areas. Yes.
0: And I realized
1: that when I got to the DOE, it's so much more than tuition reimbursements and it's like transportation, it's right. like residency issues at a very core basic
0: level, like admissions, it's a lot. Right. It really touches right. everything. Yeah, so much. Well, I mean, our communities have had to deal with so much regarding the pandemic and education and special education were such critical factors and and really districts were stepping up to to make sure that the kids were taken care of. And 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 for all students, special ed students and all of them, that we didn't have regression for for the kids. Absolutely. Because because it was such a, a difficult, difficult time. Well, Miriam, I could keep talking to you about all this, but I I did not promise you that I would keep you for hours. So I really do hope that you'll come back. This must be incredibly interesting and rewarding work to do.
1: It really is. It really is. And I've done it for so long. And as I said, no pun intended, but it will always have a very special place in my heart. And I'm happy that I'm able to continue to do it. But I'm also very thrilled that at Bond, I'm able to do a lot more yeah. Um, in terms of education than special ed, I do work with school districts and and a lot of my private school clients on special education matters. By coming to Bond, I've been able to work on so many other issues like helping well, funding clients, public school funding. and We have so many other funding. Yeah. Help, you know helping clients open up brand new schools, right. amending school charters, working for charter schools. A lot of like contracts and transitional stuff. Public so,
0: referendums. Yes. Can we build that school? <laughs> Well, so, I hope you'll come back and talk about some of that because really it's been great to talk to you. And, and I really appreciate your, your excitement for the work, because, you know, I, I think that no matter what we do, if we're excited about it, we just provide a better product and, it, and it, it makes our days more fun. too.
1: Thank you so much. This was really fun. Yeah, it was fun. Thank
0: you. And Thank um, we you. hope to have you back again soon. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Legally Bond. If you're listening and have any questions for me, want to hear from someone at the firm, or have a suggestion for a future topic, please email us at legallybond at bsk.com. Also, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Legally Bond wherever podcasts are downloaded. Until our next talk, be well. Bond, Shenick and King has prepared this communication to present only general information. This is not intended as legal advice, nor should you consider it as such. You should not act or decline to act based upon the contents. While we try to make sure that the information is complete and accurate, laws can change quickly. You should always formally engage a lawyer of your choosing before taking actions which have legal consequences. For information about our communication, firm, practice areas, and attorneys, visit our website, bsk.com. This is attorney advertising.